Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram. I love that movie podcast. And we have a Patreon. If you want to support us on there, you can. The main show is always free, but if you donate as little as a dollar a month, you get an extra bonus episode. Right now, we're covering all of WandaVision, so I have guests every week covering that, as well as my weekly roundup of everything I'm watching. And I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons, and they are Chris Balga, Michael Cross, Philip Barker, and Jeff Woodman. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. Uh, and if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. And now on to the show. Um, every week I have a guest, as I said before, and I have a returning guest. I have Nick Ward. Say hi, Nick. Hello. Uh, <laughs> wow, that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's just interesting. Just greeting the, the listeners. Thank you for doing that. So every year, Nick and I talk about a movie that has something to do with our relationship around our anniversary. Mm-hmm. So we were married on the 12th um, and we went on a little trip and, you know, we've been celebrating. We're actually really excited because we were both vaccinated finally. So we can actually go places. But anyway, we did want to, you know, return to this, uh, this, what do you call it? Ritual? I don't know. Annual Tradition. thing that we do. Tradition. That was the word Tradition. I was looking for. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we decided this year to do something a little different. Um, you know, we've picked other movies in the past. Like, I think we did Dread one time. Um, that definitely sums up our relationship. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, I dread our relationship. Uh, and then also, like, Goodfellas and some other fun choices. But this time, we're going to go back to the very first episode we ever recorded at all. And you were my very first guest. And it still happens to be a movie that we love just as much as that first time we recorded and continue to love, but we are going to re- redo that episode. So what what movie are we talking about today? Dark City. Revisit. Yes. <laughs> Reboot. Remix. <laughs> um, so, um, can, you, can you add an air horn in there? Do-do-do. Um, but before we do that, because uh, this is all out of order and it's wacky. This recording session is wacky because our dogs are like running around making clanging sounds that we keep having to edit out. So you're spared that, but you do get to enjoy our frantic uh, talking. Um, but anyway, uh, Nick, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit in case people don't know about our beloved union and you as a guest. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been on quite a few of your episodes over the last... Four years. Four years, yeah. 
and uh yeah i'm pretty much always here i'm always <laughs> he listening. lives here <laughs> even if i'm not on the episode i'm always listening it's scary yeah well i'm in the other room yeah you're mostly playing video games yeah. not necessarily listening but no <laughs> but yeah i i uh i usually jump in whenever lisa needs a guest uh, especially like a really cool movie like this i kind of lean more towards the the 90s kind of sci-fi pseudo action-esque and i feel like this one kind of really hit a home run with both of us because it's that real dark noir detective vibe that you like mm -hmm. but also real kind of weird sci-fi that i like yeah yeah I, and it's fun to go back and revisit it because i think you know, every time I do, I see something different. Like we always say about every movie we I've love, seen but this particularly movie this one. Several times, and I feel like I picked up more watching it the other night again. Yeah, like something new every watch. Yeah, I think this movie kind of represents both of us, like you said, as viewers. Like I think there's just so much in it aesthetically, and just a lot of the choices in the plot and the storytelling that I really, really like and connect with. It's a and very you happen to too. Of genres. Yeah, it kind of is. And like, you know, this movie kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Um, definitely overshadowed by films like the matrix that came out the following year. Um, and it, it has become sort of a cult classic. I think yeah. that people have heard of it, uh, but not everyone's seen it. Especially younger listeners, I don't think, have seen this movie for the most part. But if you've seen it, you love it. Yeah, I feel like if you've seen this movie, you really like Because this isn't a movie you just kind of see just because you've seen You had to want to see this movie. Right. Okay, so... Let's go ahead and read the synopsis really quick, and then we'll kind of jump in. Now, guys, as you always know, this is not spoiler-free, so I really recommend going and seeing this first and then coming back, and I think uh, you got to rent this right now or buy it. We happen to own it on Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, also, we're going to mainly be talking about the director's cut. There is a theatrical cut and a director's cut. And I will say, I do think in this case, not always the case, surprisingly, but I think in this case, the director's cut actually does kind of flesh out the story a little bit more. Yeah, it's almost, I would say, it's uh, it's kind of like watching the director's cut of uh, Blade Runner. You mm -hmm. get a lot more keys. They didn't cut out fluff. They cut out, like, major stuff. Um, kind of the Donnie Darko director's cut, you get a lot more... Um, story that you kind of need mm -hmm. that's another movie i'd love to cover sometime yeah. um but yeah i'm gonna go ahead and read the synopsis so go watch it and then come back and here is and the synopsis email a four-page essay yeah please okay so john murdoch played by rufus sewell awakens alone in a strange hotel room to find that he is wanted for a series of brutal murders the problem is that he can't remember whether he committed the murders or not. For one brief moment, he is convinced that he has gone completely mad. Murdoch seeks to unravel the twisted riddle of his identity. As he edges closer to solving the mystery, he stumbles upon a fiendish underworld controlled by a group of ominous beings collectively known as the Strangers. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, it's even got that true crime element. I, you know. Yeah. But, um... A few things I want to say about this. So this was directed by Alex Proyas, and it was on the heels of him directing another movie called The Crow, which, you know, that's that's a pretty big one. And uh, what were you going to yeah, say? Yeah, it's a very similar vibe. 
Mm-hmm. I, Maybe I agree. Maybe a more uh, subdued soundtrack, though. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, he got that and then he got this. And then when you look at the rest of his career, it's like, I don't know. It's like he doesn't have a lot of stuff that I can point out to that I'm really into. Like, you know, there's a couple like bad ones called like, go Gods of the, Egypt like, and things like that. Dark noir style. He, I know. And, and uh, Dark City were really good. They both have a very oh, similar... Oh, you're right. Uh, I, Robot. I didn't know he directed that. They have a very similar um, feel. I enjoyed iRobot. I thought I, it was good. I like iRobot. I mean, to be honest, it is not what the novel is like no, at it's all. Totally, it, I mean, it's a Will Smith action movie. Right. But I love Sunny and I like some of the it's concepts in it. So, oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I would talk about iRobot, too. I like it. This is a good one. You know, I, I think it's it. good. But it's not as good as this. <laughs> I think this is his peak no, for no, sure. This is really, really good surprisingly i don't know if i've ever seen the crow all the way through is that like embarrassing to admit i saw it last time i saw it i was still a kid so i i feel like i would get something more out of it seeing it as an adult i think it was like a kid or like an early teenager yeah we should watch that sometime yeah i remember really liking it like i said i think i would like it even more seeing it now well, next, let's talk a little bit about some fun facts. You know, uh, I usually have two or three fun facts. Actually, I don't. I didn't bring any fun facts just because I don't know a ton about this movie. I just really love it. That's okay. I got your fun facts right here. The first one that I have is that a number of the pieces of the set, including those used for the rooftop chase scene, were sold to the production of The Matrix at the end of shooting. Hmm. I want to talk more about that a little later, or we yeah. can talk about it right now. It's whichever. When, whenever. Um, I think aesthetically, it does give you lots of Matrix vibes. I feel like we were talking about this while we were watching it. Um, they were probably both in pre-production around the same time but i have to chalk up the look of this movie coming out a year before the matrix to the way the matrix looks like all the green hues and the filters they use yeah i mean it almost looks like a higher budget dark city it does there's certain things that happen getting super spoilery but even the strangers are actually like weird space spider things yeah they almost look like the sentinels in the matrix it's and the fact that they all share one identity like the agents do yeah and then you mentioned it's all a ripoff what um big phony (laughs) you're a big phony um and also, you mentioned the phone, the use of phones, the which, phone. I mean, that could just be a 90s thing, to be well, honest. Well, I did notice my my astute ear. <laughs> I feel like it's the exact same soundbite of the phone ringing. It probably if is. If anyone knows, I mean, phones I mean, if they're only, using, like, some of the same sets, I'm sure they have similar sound only production. sound so many different ways. True. But if anyone knows, is do you know, is that the exact sound file that they use? Yeah, it sounds let us know. exactly like the same phone whenever they uh they leave the matrix and go back into the real world. Yeah. Okay, so another fun fact, New Line Cinema forced Alex Porias to include the opening narration by Kiefer Sutherland, which gives away several plot reveals. Porias objected to it, saying it was unnecessary, and he subsequently removed it from his director's cut. I think that's a a good idea because the director's cut shows you more throughout the film to where you kind of get to figure it out instead of going into the movie knowing what's happening which is kind of boring 
I think that there's two different viewers, types of viewers, and there's people that enjoy piecing a film together and there's those that don't like that. And it's kind of like, which Blade Runner cut do you prefer? The one with Harrison Ford narrating at the beginning or the one without it? And I prefer the one without it because I like a good mystery. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like how people, I keep going back to this example just because we're still covering WandaVision on my uh, Patreon podcast, but... You know, for that show, too, saw a similar divide of people that are like, what the hell's going on by by episode three? Yeah. Uh, like, and then people like me, they're like, oh, yes, I love it. You know, so it's... Yeah, it's like, you know, this, this show's going to be so many episodes long. They're not going to explain everything in episode two or three. You're going to yeah. have to watch all of it. Mm-hmm. They're not stupid. They want you to watch. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to just the abandon you. Oh, this is what's going on. You don't need to watch anymore. <laughs> um, the last thing that I have is the filmmaker's site... Uh, 1940s, 50s film noir, particularly The Maltese Falcon. One of my favorite movies. Yep, same. And the sci-fi features Metropolis, which I pointed that out this time, reminded me of Metropolis. Oh, yeah. The Twilight Zone. I definitely saw some Twilight Zone hints. And Akira as influences of the film. Yep. And I would say that Akira also influenced The Matrix. So I can see that crossover there, too. Like, even if they didn't intentionally. But, you know, like the tuning and stuff is very Akira-esque. I'm surprised movie. they didn't throw in a tuning being like a very Scanners-esque. Oh, you're right. When did Scanners come out? Scanners was 80s. Oh, I think okay. that was one of Cronenberg's first movies. Not not his first, but I think one of his early movies. We so, should do a whole Cronenberg series. That would be fun. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's another thing is watching it again. We were talking about that, and I keep using the word aesthetic. I don't know, drink every time I say that, but... Um, like the look of the film does look very noir, but also kind of looks, we were talking about sort of like French or European, uh, color palette reminds me a lot of like, you know, Amelie or like City of Lost Children. Yes. Which I would love to cover that too. It's got like, I know every movie in the, like the nineties and early two thousands had, were like, had like a thousand filters on top of them, (laughs) but that's kind of cool because you know when it happened and if done right, it actually looks good. Yeah, it adds to the film in this yeah. one, especially since it's all taking place like kind of at night. I think it's a really cool way to give it the old noir, like black and white look without making it, without filming it in black and white. I agree. Give and... it one solid like main color tone throughout mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah, and it, it, it lets you know, too, that you're not in this reality, the reality that we're in. Yeah, and the Matrix is normal. much the same way, where it's like that greenish, yeah, when they're dark in, hue to when everything. When they're in the Matrix, the fake world, it looks kind of normal. But then when they're in the real world, it's all very green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so I, I like the use of that here. I mean, it's not just for looks. it's It adds to the film, I think, and... Um, yeah, I think it was very intentional. It wasn't just like, well, this is what it's going to look like. It's like, like no. oh, this would be neat. <laughs> I think it was real. It was supposed to have uh, evoke a certain like sense of retro, um, kind of like dread almost. Yeah. Very um, somber, like city. Mm-hmm. without anything necessarily bad happening in the city. Yeah, just kind of a bad vibe. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, like, the themes with, like, memory and identity remind me a little bit of, like, you know, the movie Memento, which comes out a couple years later, yeah. but also of 
you know, The Matrix, but mm-hmm. also Ghost in the Shell. There's a character at the beginning of that movie, the original cartoon, yeah. um, that has like a similar thing. And of course, Blade Runner, right? Lots of memories yeah. are a theme in that as well. So all that, all, that's all that kind of stuff that I like. So, you know, this kind of packages up everything really well. And um, if you want to take it like all the way into like modern times, almost Inception-esque. Yeah. With the implanting of like different memories, like... Oh, I love that. Trying You're to so like, right. um, the 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 strangers are trying to figure something out, so they kind of like change all these people's realities every so every so often. I think it's once a day, but it's sometimes they leave someone in a reality for a while. But I guess if they don't get what they're looking for, they go in and change their whole life and like completely change stuff up. Mm-hmm. The whole thing has like this real philip k dick vibe yeah um and you know reality is perception is mm-hmm. reality kind of stuff and uh yeah i really really like that even kind of reminds me of westworld a little bit you know how they keep resetting the characters yeah, sometimes kinda, putting them in different situations they do the same thing but a little bit different every time yeah but let's talk a little bit about the cast too because this has a great cast it's a good cast i don't think i even knew who any of these people were when i first saw it oh not at all um i love rufus sewell as john murdoch i love his name because it sounds like a you know yeah a, it sounds a like detective like name bogart would be it's like a bogart name yeah and then william hurt as the inspector the inspector was good yeah it's like one of your favorite characters it, he is and it was interesting about him is at one point this was going to be written from the perspective of the inspector because you could totally see that right i mean that's kind of deckard is sort of like a detective and it's from his perspective but they chose to do it from the perspective of the killer in air quotes which i think actually is better um even though i I love detectives i like it being from john murdoch's point of view yeah i think it's a cool idea because not only is he trying to solve the mystery much like um uh, uh inspector frank but He's also trying to, like, clear his name at the same time. So you really get, like, double stakes there. Yeah. And figure out who he is. Like, he yeah, doesn't he, even that's, know his that's name for a, a lot of it. Threat. He's trying to figure... He doesn't know that either. Yeah. And then, of course, one of my favorite performances in the movie is Kiefer Sutherland because he is as Dr. Daniel Schreber. Oh, he, like, <laughs> does not phone it in. He's, like, giving it all as this, like, weird, like... I don't even know what he has. <laughs> I know. He's like, he's making choices with this character that are yeah. very weird and could have been super dumb, but, it but instead it's awesome. <laughs> it's almost like, uh, what was it? Uh, what was that one with, um, we saw recently with uh, Tom Holland and... Oh, with uh, The Devil All the Time. The Devil All the Time. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, Pattinson's choice to do that voice could have been, gone totally wrong, yeah. but it worked perfectly. Yeah. Kind of like this, that weird, like... Always short of breath, Keith or so- Kiefer Sutherland did. It's it just, and he's kind of a little bit disfigured. Yeah, which you don't notice a lot until you really get a good look at him later. Yeah, in the, the way film. he's playing, he's he, like uh, he's acting. He's got like a, a hunchback. He has a cane, a limp. It's just really interesting. But I feel like it's because his character is the only human that the strangers 
have let onto their plan. Yeah, so I wonder if they, I like, think they tortured him. Well. Yeah, I wondered that this time I was like, and I never thought about it before, but I'm like, I think that they harmed him, and well, that's why he's like that. But he's kind of like Renfieldish, like in Dracula. Jump, like yeah. I don't know, it's like a weird performance. Jumping all the way to the end, I don't know if it's because I don't know, maybe they kicked his cane out from under his hand, but they have him in that weird like apparatus that's like holding him up. Oh for yeah, for him to like walk around in. Um, I don't know why. Maybe they're just being jerks. <laughs> That was not in the director's cut. No explanation. Yeah, get in the weird cage thing. <laughs> but yeah, I like it. And, and also because I enjoy Kiefer Sutherland as an actor, but it's not like he's not the kind of actor that makes a lot of big swings in his performances. Like, so it's cool that he did that here. Not to like crap on his, his career, but I feel like he's <laughs> he's really good, but I feel like he's not really anyone's favorite actor. Even and he's though usually he's the same amazing. guy. Like, he's Jack Bauer, you know, and that's what I think yeah, of him Yeah, but he's as. always good. True. Yeah, I mean, you know, I and, and when he was younger, he was always just, like, a good-looking jerk, you know, yeah. like, in Lost Boys and Stand By Me yeah. and, you know. Uh, or was that It? I, can't, I can never remember which one he was in. I think it, it was Stand By Me. I think it was Stand By Me, yeah. But, um, and then uh, you've also got Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. As Emma Murdoch, and this is, I is this the same year that Requiem for a Dream came out? I can't remember. I think Requiem was like oh two thousands. Okay, so she's like two years younger here. She kind of looks younger somehow. I don't know. That probably doesn't make sense. She's but. a lot younger, but she almost has more of her um, labyrinth look. Yeah, still. like still like little baby faced. Yeah. Uh, in this one, I think, but that could be because in Requiem she's playing like a heroin addict, yeah. and she might have like been thinner for that role. Obviously, I don't think she's not thin, but you know, heroin addict chic is not good. <laughs> not something to aspire to. Um, but yeah, she's awesome in this. And I and watching it this time, I'm like, this is why they put her in that Alita movie. Yeah, she was. It's she's like warmer in this movie, but still very kind of standoffish. I want to say like um, like whenever she thinks her husband's a killer, she's like, "Are you?" Yeah, like she's not like crying hysterically or something she's like i need to figure this out also i think this is another kind of noir trope of the female lead um being kind of you know the femme fatale characters that are kind of like yeah like almost cold and distant they play their part the whole movie and then they finally like show their true colors yeah or like they finally have a break of real emotion but usually they're like very guarded and not telling you what's really going on in this case i feel like she's emotionally guarded because she doesn't know what's going on um she feels like she loves him but then she's questioning her reality of whether or not he's a killer yeah because she Um, whether they're real or not she has all the good memories of him still yeah and 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 she reminds me of you know, Rachel in Blade Runner a lot, yeah. too, which, again, modeled after mm-hmm. sort of a femme fatale character. Um, and then, of course, you've got all the actors that the are strangers. the strangers, which, you know, do a good job and have, like, fun names like yeah. Mr. Han, Mr. Book, and Mr. Wall. <laughs> I, I feel like we could dive into all of them. Like, that could be a whole show. But I feel like each one of their names, there's a lot more than just those, but yeah. they're not just random. I feel like they really mean, like, I feel like Mr. Book is obviously the leader. So ah. he's like the book, the information. Okay. And I think Mr. Hand is the one that kind of does all the dirty work. Oh. So I wonder if you really break down all their names, 
you can really it almost has something to do with their job or what they're trying to accomplish i'm not sure that's a theory that makes sense though they're like a collective consciousness but they're this is sort of different parts of their personality they each do something different Mm. yeah and it also sounds kind of mobsterish yeah (laughs) mr hand or also like when i first saw it i thought these like alien creatures just didn't know what names were so they just named all of themselves random things Mm. but the the i think last time and especially this time when i watched it i feel like the names probably mean something that I haven't figured out completely yet. But I think that would be really neat to, if someone knows what they all mean, to like dive into that. That would be really cool. Yes. Um, let us now dive into some of our favorite scenes. Um, it's like all of it? It's Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, Lisa's scrolling through like screenshots. And yeah, they to all help look us. Really cool. <laughs> if you hear clicking. Um, I think one of, not the best, but a really cool scene, trying to go in chronological order, is the first time um, Murdoch realizes he can tune. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're up on that like scaffolding or something by that old sign. And this is also, I believe. I don't think this scene was in the theatrical cut because um, this is one where he uh, he manages to kind of like disintegrate the the boards and one of them falls down and gets tangled in these ropes. And when they do so, they kind of pull the ropes and this like, you know, like the 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 waving cowboy at Vegas or whatever. Yeah. There's a sign like that. The hand comes down and kind of like cuts the top of one of their heads off yes and you see the spider creature inside i don't think that was in the theatrical version but i could be wrong yeah i didn't remember it and when we were watching the director's cut i realized that i've seen the theatrical cut more than i've seen the yeah there were some scenes i didn't recognize and there were some scenes i didn't remember but yeah i know that i know that the director was trying to limit how many times you saw the alien and even entertained like not seeing it at at all. But I think that the studio pushed like, no, we've got to like see it. it." Yeah. Um, So it comes out. Yeah. It oozes out of the head. And at this point, you're not really sure what's going on still because uh, the main character, John, I mean, it seems like people keep questioning him about, you know, who he is and things like that. And so I think he's kind of confused. So you're like, is this really happening or is it like, you know, he's crazy, yeah. <laughs> which I love plots like that where it's like, is, is their reality really happening yeah. or is it like their perception of it? Um, there's quite a few differences between the theatrical and the director's cut, like the introduction of like the spiral and John's fingerprint is also yeah, like I not really that way explored. more. Once again, I feel like I noticed more in this one, like, um, I think, um, Murdoch looks at his fingerprints two or three times throughout the film. And I didn't put two and two together before, but this time I'm like, once again, spoilers, but it's not Earth. It's a weird satellite these aliens have that I get they've dumped humans on to figure out what the soul is. But the satellite is this city they're in, and it looks like a fingerprint. It's a very Ah. spiral-esque... uh, street system like there's one scene where you finally see it from above it's floating in space and it's like a maze fingerprint uh type city 
I'd never put that together until we saw it the other night. Yeah, and spirals are a theme in the movie. You know, when yeah. the killer leaves spirals mm -hmm. yeah. on that woman's body. Um, and yeah, it, it seems like it's a metaphor for like they're kind of like trapped it's a maze. in a maze. Yeah, like rats in a maze. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, another change. I know we said favorite scenes, but maybe we'll also touch on a couple of differences. Oh, yeah. Um, the relationship between uh, Bumstead and Emma is like non-existent in the theatrical cut, but it is, there's several scenes with uh, his wife and with the detective. I thought that was good because it's almost like they're kind of not playing against each other, but I feel like Bumstead is kind of starting con to convince her, but then she's also kind of starting to convince him that Murdoch is innocent. Yeah, and, and Murdoch's really messing with Bumstead's reality too. Yeah. And so they're, they kind of become part of this club of people that know something else is going on. And yeah. plus, I just like that it makes Jennifer Connelly's character more interesting instead of her just being like the love interest that's being threatened to thrown out into the space at the end. She's well, very like active in the story in the, theater, cool in they, the director's they, cut. They didn't cut her parts out like they did in the theatrical cut. You yeah. know, they, they left all of her parts in. There's also a scene where we find out that the uh, sex worker has a daughter and that she actually witnessed the murder and she has like a drawing of the strangers. So this is like yeah. the first time his wife and the detective are seeing what the strangers look like. Because like most people yeah, haven't like, seen them. That's not Murdoch. Yeah. And most people haven't seen them, right? So yeah. like they only came in and committed this crime because they're trying to do something to John specifically. But this is proof that it's not just John's reality yeah. that she drew them. Um, so that's an interesting development. Also, there's a scene uh, where Shreber is being visited by Mr. Hand in the public bath and uh, pops up after he talked to Brumstead. But in the theatrical cut, it appears uh, during the conversation between John and Emma. Um, there's also a shot of John in the public bath. He sneaks in the cab and follows the conversation between Trevor and Mr. Hand. Again, not in the theatrical version. Yeah, because I think, uh, Murdoch, he, like, follows, um, Kiefer Sutherland's character for a while before they actually meet. Yeah. And then also, I think coercing Shreber into coming with them using tuning... Yeah. Is not done in the theatrical cut. He just comes with them willingly, but in the director's cut, he like made him. It makes it seem more like he's a pawn and not just working with them. Yes, you're right. It makes him seem more innocent, which yeah. later, I mean, it, for sure he wasn't working with them because he it, he helps um he helps John yeah. by giving him all those memories. So it makes more sense that he would do that. But anyway, those are some of the differences. Uh, to go back to some of the favorite scenes, um, let's see. I really like the Hellraiser vibes when you finally yeah. see all the strangers. Their weird little like domain. Yeah, and that giant head. That this Metropolis. Is the, it's yes. like Hell, uh, Hellraiser meets Metropolis. Yeah, and this is kind of like, by this point, you know that their race is like dying off. And so for whatever reason, the thing that they want most out of humans is our individuality and but they, a soul a soul yeah because they think that makes you potent like in theory live forever yeah and the fact that they don't have that they think is why they're dying and why they don't have their own identities yeah. so 
they're trying to figure out, you know, what, what is a soul? What gives you one? So they force Schreiber to inject everybody with these serums that have all these memories in them that basically give them their identities and then mm. they just study us. That's it. They see how you react with different, like, life events that you yeah. never actually experienced. Yeah, and um, somehow that's going to help them. But it doesn't. Instead, they accidentally trained... <laughs> John Murdoch to beat them, but uh, yeah, Oops. <laughs> that's that's a good scene that I really like. Um, I think one of my favorite scenes. Well, I mean, like once again, they're all good, but when you first see um, the nightly tuning, yes, I mean that's so cool. Like the the city changing. It's like it's a mix of uh, real early CG, so you can kind of tell, but also a lot of real. Uh, miniatures yes and just the way they do it all together it looks really good and the city is so weird it doesn't have to look real it can look fakey um and just the whole city vibe and also we get to see uh kind of like what we were talking about earlier the very uh kind of like inception type thing you see the way they take one someone's reality and completely change it like it's this couple probably very poor blue collar i think he's complaining about shifts at work and the tuning happens so everything stops they mess with their house it gets enormous they inject them and then like when they wake back up they're like snobby billionaires yeah it was really cool to actually see that happen right it's like how much of your personality is your environment too yeah. just and makes you, see you think like about that moving people from different apartments to other places um, but I think since Murdoch is further along, he doesn't sleep like everyone else. So he, this is the first time he sees what's going on. Yeah. And like in the beginning of the movie, he like wakes up. He wakes and, up during yes, the tune. And we don't know that that's what's happening, but later we realize that's what was happening in yeah. that scene. He just wakes up disoriented, which is also like a fun thing. Cause it's like, what if when you are disoriented you've been tuned yeah. or whatever um uh another scene that i really like is the lounge scene with jennifer Connolly singing i remember like the first time i saw that scene and saw her i was like oh my god this is like the most beautiful woman in the world i love her dress i love the song and i like the way she's delivering it because it's like this weird she's singing really pretty but it's like very emotionless and like sad i don't know it's I, at the same I, I time i want to say it's almost like she almost isn't a lounge singer but that's what they've made her do yeah like it seems like she doesn't want to be not there natural. somehow she's able to but it's not natural to her because maybe she wasn't doing this who knows like three nights before and they did a tuning and changed her reality yeah it's hard to say i like that scene i also weirdly always love the way it looked when um when Murdoch goes into that diner the and they, yes, and they have like all that food behind all those little glasses. Yeah. Was that like a real thing? I mean, there's there's a weird thing that happens in this movie where like nothing really yeah, matches up is. with a I real timeline. Sixties, it's like the closest thing to a vending machine. Yeah, yeah. But they would restock it, and you'd like put your money in, and it would open. I I remember they had this at a. They used to have these at hospitals in the cafeteria. Oh, okay. But it it's very that way like retro and there's also something like creepy about when he's talking to that one guy that's like you forgot your wallet 
and he puts it in one of the things but you, he keeps he trying really to look to at him, him. Yeah. yeah and he keeps trying to look at the guy and the guy's like kind of making sure he can't see him yeah which gave me like 12 monkey vibes also like i, I don't know there was something off about it and something kind of terry gilliam of about that scene yeah, it was kind of like me. it was kind of like a, a weird quirky scene to be in this movie yeah um trying to think of another scene that i really enjoyed i mean we've kind of talked about this a little bit already but i like the way the strangers look because they kind of look like vampire mobsters i don't know they look very strange it looks like uh dracula 2000 (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um and again kind of like hellraiser a little bit Um, yeah they wear like derbies when they go out during the the tuning and everything very effective in disguising their identities um but yeah i like that uh what else um i mean i guess the whole scanner meets harry potter versus dumbledore meets <laughs> dragon ball z meets anything where it's like two powerful people like shooting a weird beam at each other and it goes back and forth that uh, yeah whole fight at lord the of the rings really cool. yeah lord <laughs> of the rings um that is really cool also we were talking about this last night. We're like, it kind of, it's kind of anime-ish. <laughs> like, in some of the yeah. ways that it's told. Like, I could totally see this as being, like, an anime. Yeah, and the fact that they kind of just tell you and show you, like, oh, yeah, and this this happened. But they don't explain it. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, not necessarily have to explain happen. everything. Because, right. like, part of the movie experience is, like, figuring well, stuff out. Well, they're aliens, and we don't know how they did it. Yeah, so, so it would make sense that like the characters people. don't know. Yeah. Um... I like the scene. Okay, so they keep introducing this concept of this beach, this vacation yeah. destination that everyone wants to like get to, but it's theoretical because I'm doing air quotes, but everyone's been there, yeah, but they can't remember the directions or how to get there. And I feel like it's because, um, so like these creatures or these aliens, they don't like the sun, right? Or they, water, or water, um, but they know that people do. Um, love those things and need those things. So I think they give them the memories of those they things, that so one that constant memory. Yeah, everyone. so that they don't disappoint them, and they think that this this vacation is coming. It's advertised yeah. everywhere. It's talked about. They remember it, but they never really get that payoff. But it's kind of a fun concept because doesn't it kind of remind you of like the daily grind of like yeah. we're all kind of looking forward to that. Um, that vacation that time and that yeah. escape to a beach and like what if one day you found it like it's never actually happening it's never gonna happen it's never happened and it's, i just it's the carrot in front of you yeah and so like you know uh there's a scene where we find out that you know john murdoch runs into his uncle in air quotes and his uncle showing him all these memories and like trying to convince him which it feels like an obvious plant from the strangers yeah. to try to equate you get him to throw off the, yeah throw him off the the, lead, the kit, um one of my case yeah and i love that he sees pictures of him and he's like that's me like i don't remember this and like has that ever happened to you before because it's happened to me where i see like a picture of me from as a kid and i'm like i I straight up don't remember this like and that's pretty normal actually like our memories are very unreliable and 
they've even done studies where they show people a picture that oh, they you... photoshop themselves in yeah and people are like oh yeah i remember that carnival and they're like well you you didn't go there <laughs> so it's like it actually is pretty easy to manipulate people's memories in some ways yeah if you and, just make it convincing enough yeah and it, and i thought that was kind of interesting in the story and um again he's starting to really doubt this location he opens up a book he keeps trying to go there yeah and he uh, has that children's book like a little diary they're like yeah. he's like oh you made this when you went to the beach but he opens it it's blank There's nothing in there but then later his mind like his tuning ability fills it with pictures yeah and uh and yeah they finally get there at the end of the movie and uh the deleted scene that you don't see until you watch the director's cut schreiber or schreiber is like it's not there you don't want to go there i've been there um so i think that that's what happened to him is he like figured all this out he like went there yeah realized that there's no escape it's and that's probably when the strangers empty yeah. space and that's probably when the strangers really got him you yeah. know because you're like you can't leave anyway so be our puppet essentially yeah. but they get there there's like a wall he and the uh, detective break it they down, break it down yeah. and guess what they're in the middle of nowhere in outer space yeah, it's like, it's <laughs> i like love a, that it's almost like a space station kind of to look like a city yeah and like i think the first time i saw this movie and they saw that i was like what the hell like, like i was so there? shocked yeah because in the in the um theatrical cut you don't you get some of the backstory but like when you finally see it you're like whoa you know yeah. um i think the cool thing is like after like i said like the whole power beam dbz type fight uh he does manage to defeat mr book um all the strangers are either i don't remember are they killed or they just kind of go away they're killed because of the introduction of like the sun that's right yeah because he yeah, cause like i think he tilts the station because since he can he's essentially as, as powerful as they are he can make stuff he can tune fully so he can move the station around he, introduce more water he filled the emptiness with water to where there actually is a beach mm -hmm. i mean there's nowhere else to go but they can at least go to the beach now and he gives them the sun so it's like that hurts all the like that, aliens yeah that's too. right i remember that so i think now. that combination is like well they're done for like yeah. the, the only thing that kept this working is that they i mean people have to have water so they had it there but they kept it like yeah under control and now it's everywhere yeah and same with the sun so um you know towards the end he like reunites with his wife but she doesn't know it's him yeah they and... kind of get a fresh start because i think he goes and meets her where they supposedly originally met right so but it was almost, a fake memory but he makes it he's happen trying yeah. to, to re rekindle seeing if he can do it organically and like there's some touching parts of the movie where you know, he explains to her that, like, they've never actually met. They didn't actually get married. They didn't have yeah. this whole life they've together. They've probably never even come in contact with each other. And she says, but I love you and you can't fake that. And he's like, I believe you. So there's, like, this really sweet connection between the two of them that's kind of, like, the opposite of Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's, like, actually they've never met, but somehow they do know that despite whether it's real or not, their feelings for each other are well, it's real. It's almost like the feelings and memories are so strong. Yeah. Whether they're real or not, it feels real almost to where they make it real. Yeah. And they're, they're kind of like, once again, very inception. Yeah. 
it's like whether that's true or not i do love you kind of thing yeah which kind of reminds me a little bit too of like in in blade runner like 2049 um they talk about like oh what if you were programmed to do this what if you're programmed to love each other and it's like okay but what if people are programmed to love each other by their genetics like yeah what if genetics is just like a biological computer yeah like that's programming yeah it's like it, does it really matter if, if you're it's... predestined to love someone else because you yeah. your chemistry is there it, it really shouldn't even if matter the feelings there then it's real if you yeah. feel it then it is real and to so you. these characters even though the situation they're put in is artificial they they're willing to push past that and say yeah, yeah. okay fine but i love you they put a very organic um spin on this like programming type idea yeah and i just like i i don't know if this is like a specific scene well i love the scene where uh you know all the all the strangers are trying to get what they want out of murdoch but shrever pulls a 180 on them and he injects uh john with all these memories and you see shrever in all his memories like teaching him so he's like giving him like a lifetime of understanding of the strangers yeah so he's he's essentially like when you wait when you get out of this you're gonna have to save us yeah help you as much as i can but it's gonna be up to you and like he basically inserts him in his life as like a father figure father a teacher yeah uh, somebody on the train or whatever all these different things but he kind of turns around and tells him a quick snippet of information and so he gives him like a lifetime of experience with him as a mentor Mm mm-hmm uh, teaching him and then all of a sudden he's got to like snap into action and he does um yeah. and then the strangers are like uh-oh <laughs> that was a bad idea they were just so desperate not to die um well, i think they didn't understand um i mean they're looking for the soul in all the wrong way so they didn't necessarily understand like the human experience so they didn't plan on um the doctor turning on them yeah to help murdoch they probably literally did not see that coming. It was a total surprise, even though it like seems obvious. It's like if you beat this guy up and mess with him all the time, he's eventually going to turn against you. Yeah. Like, and, and once he finds out that someone else has their abilities that he trusts, yeah, someone that could save them, you he's know, like, a okay. Christ-like figure, as is always in these types of stories, he's essentially tuning Jesus. But... The Messiah. <laughs> um, but yeah a scanner's christly <laughs> and he kind of looks like i don't know jim cavazell's trending because he said something wacky not surprised um but i'm like he kind of has he kind of looks like jim cavazell to me a, a little, little bit, bit yeah um but anyway yeah so those are all the scenes that i really like i just love the vibe of the film i like that it's really futuristic but it's got this deeply retro. deeply retro thing going on and i've always liked sci-fi like that like we mentioned city of lost children um somehow we've i don't think we've ever talked about that movie but Mm -hmm. it should obviously be an episode because i i used to love that movie so much remember i used to make our friends watch it they were like we're really tired of this movie i don't think you've done any ron perlman movies oh no do we not do hellboy i don't think we've or anyone's done hellboy before that's depressing feel faint i know i'm i don't feel so good um but yeah i like that concept in this and then i also like the idea that like the sun never actually came but they're always kind of like waiting for it but it's like always nighttime like all that stuff is just cool they're like i remember that 
I guess then the strangers like, are kind of hoping they remember it. Like, there's that scene, too, with the taxi driver where he's like, have you ever been to that beach? And he's like, he's yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we went there. We, me and my wife went there on our honeymoon a few years ago. He's like, how do you get there? Oh, well, you just take this highway to, uh, and then you go, um, hmm, I don't remember. Yeah. It's very, like, Truman Show. Yeah. Or, like, uh, Ghost in the Shell, that one driver that, yeah, like, realizes his family and everything doesn't exist and... It's all implanted memories. Yeah, that they're was like, really cool. It is Truman Show-ish, and yeah. I do love that movie, I think too. another time that happens, they're like, oh, yeah, you take Avenue H or whatever, and then when he looks at the map, it's like there is no Avenue H. Mm. That's like another thing. It's like the one way you get there doesn't exist. And also, I like, I think we kind of touched on it already, but with the detective, when he's sort of making him question like whether or not this is really happening and if he's being used and if he ever was a detective before today and he's well, he can't remember things either when he questions him like when did the when was the last time the sun came up i think that's he uh he talks to his partner too that had has pretty much gone crazy because he has gone through a few like unsuccessful tunings mm. so he's lost it he knows that like something is wrong and i think we get a little bit of a hint that that's happening early on and i think he that's when he starts to like say wait a minute something else is going on because like i don't i actually i think it was a superior i don't even think it was a detective he's like my superior's like gone bonkers and he's saying some weird stuff yeah i'm gonna look into it but that was kind of like when deckard's giving the um test to somebody and he's kind of starting yeah. to question himself like well rachel later says have you ever given yourself that test yeah. the what's it called alan turning test the, or um touring test yeah touring okay. um speaking of that we should do ex machina sometime Ooh, i love that movie but um was there anything we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to touch on probably but I know, I'm surprised that this, once again, the episode's kind of short. <laughs> I feel like the, the movie, for as much that goes on, it's not a very long movie. That's but true. for so much happening, it's a very easy-to-digest movie. So I think people should watch it. I mean, for being very unique concepts and kind of like over-the-top, it's, it's real enjoyable. It's not like one of those movies where you're like, this movie's good. So I guess I'm going to sit through it and see mm -hmm. what the big deal is. Like, no, it's good. Well, we touched on, too, that, like, it does remind us a little bit of, like, Cronenberg films. I think yeah. especially I saw this movie differently, especially after we've had a couple years of watching, like, um, Videodrome and Existence. Existence and yeah. I definitely see similarities in the plot and in the storytelling in this one. Yeah. That, I would love to do a Videodrome versus existence because my, <laughs> my theory is it's the same movie he just made them two decades apart i agree and um i think like those movies this film's like way of telling the story it's not like a perfectly linear story there's a lot of yeah. stuff that's just plain bizarre that doesn't get explained and you're either into movies like that or you're not. And so, like... Yeah, I don't need every single piece explained. I kind of like being able to go home and, like, come up with a fan theory or something. That's fun. Yeah, and I think, too, like, sometimes people will say, oh, this movie's, like, weird for the sake of being weird. And 
I guess I'm like, what's wrong with that though? Like, why yeah. can't you just enjoy how something looks and makes you feel without having to have like all these solid answers of why? Like, it's art. Like, and, wh- yeah, who cares? maybe the director is not <laughs> making it for everyone. Maybe True. he's like, these are these weird ideas I have. I want to put it down on paper or film. I think it could be cool. Right. It's definitely not hard sci-fi. You know, they're not oh, like no. going like, into... It's almost like magic. And yeah. Stuff like it's like weird space spider magic. <laughs> it's like... And I guess that's more my speed. Like some people are really want the technical side explained to them. Yeah. And if you're into that, this movie will frustrate you to yeah, no end. Yeah, because they don't it explain not... how any of it happens. It just happens. Yeah. And I, I like that. I'm like, ooh, I don't know how it happened. I, I enjoy did. the mystery cool. of it. But yeah, it looks great. And... Uh, I, I have a theory, too, that um, I know I mentioned anime at the beginning a little bit. I feel like if you like anime, it's, it's kind of the same thing where, like, on some level, you like how everything looks, and it doesn't have to always make sense to you. The the, the, the narrative does not have to be 100% linear and all tied up. You're just like, hey, I don't know. They dress like that because it looks awesome, and I'm into that. Yeah, it's kind of like those shows where you really like the characters, like two or three episodes are fluff that are garbage, but you're like, you know what? I'm going to watch it anyways because it's going to get good. I know it's going to get good. Yeah. I'm so, here for it for through everything. But if you're into movies that are straightforward, this is probably not the film for you. And that's okay, too. You can, yeah. There's plenty of other movies I love. They're very straightforward. So, yeah. Well, that brings me to our last couple of questions. Uh, number one, why do you think you keep returning to this movie? Like, what about it keeps you coming back? Well, I feel like if I hadn't just rewatched it, my answer might be different. But I think it's because I noticed like three or four things I didn't notice before. And I feel like I've seen this movie at least like six, seven, eight, nine times. And I still notice like a couple new things. I have to say that there's a lot there to digest. You need to watch. It's like a good book. You need to reread it a couple times to get the full story. You know, I've always loved movies, and I've seen a lot of movies, even no. before I started the podcast. But given the fact that we, I've been doing this for four years now with you and with everyone listening, um, this movie's different to me now because I have more things to reference when I watch it that actually enhance my love for it. Um, I don't think when we first watched this, I was as into Akira. I don't think that I had seen some of those Cronenberg films that we talked about, even though I didn't watch those specifically for the podcast. I've just seen them since then. And just looking back on like, you know, The Maltese Falcon, The Matrix, a lot of movies that I've revisited because of the podcast make this movie experience different for me now than it used to be and enhance it. Yeah. And I feel like this movie is one of those films that it's very much a movie lover's movie. Um, if you're not the kind of person that watches all different types of films and gets really into them, you probably might not like this one as much. Um, well, it's kind of like we said at the very beginning. It's a very mixed bag of genres already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird, you know, and it's fun, but I love it. And I can't get tired of this the look of the film and and the plot and the themes about memories and identity what makes us human uh love all that stuff so we'll continue to always love this film um how would you pitch this to someone that hasn't seen it (laughs) i'm trying to think you know what i don't remember what i said to this question four years ago i don't either 
But I didn't even listen to that episode. I try not to because it was bad because it was like 20 minutes and we didn't know it what to like do. It was like on your iPhone or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so so completely forgetting the last four years of my life. No. <laughs> Skip all that. Yeah. Not not remembering what I said four years ago. I would say um, if someone has never seen it, I'm like, okay, do you want something that's going to take you on a wild ride? And show you stuff you've never seen before, but at the same time, feel super familiar. Yeah, that's true because this it is touches gonna be on... the movie for you. It's got stuff that like that pulls from film from like decades ago, but then it also shows you stuff so far into the future type sci-fi stuff. It's like a wide spectrum of stuff that I feel like anyone could enjoy. Yeah, I like that answer. I mean, and that's a way to make a story that's really strange relatable is to pull in imagery and themes from things we yeah. already know about. So it does do that effectively. And I don't know, I just think it's like an underrated gem, you know. Very much so. When I was younger, I was people were like, oh, I love The Matrix. And I, I personally, I was like, I like this and I liked um, Equilibrium too. I know some people yeah. think that movie's like so stupid, but I loved it. Well, they're dumb. <laughs> they're stupid. Um, well, so, I'm going to get in trouble online now. Oh, no. But um, th- those are the movies that were like not as popular that I really connected with. And so I would say if you like that movie, you might really like this. Well, Nick, uh... Thanks for coming back. Sure. Thanks for allowing me into the recording. Allowing you. (laughs) Allowing me into the recording studio. I'm usually banished. You're like, get out. I'm Um, not. No. You're here. The dogs are here, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, Nick, where can people find you? Uh, You guys can find me on pretty much all the social media platforms. Twitter, uh, Facebook, mainly Instagram. But uh, on all three of those, I'm at uh, Wardco Props of some sort. There might be an underscore on one of those. I don't remember which ones. But yeah, if you just search Wardco Props, uh, it should pop up. And you can see pretty much whatever I'm working on. Uh, finished stuff and in-progress props from various movies, video games, and uh, comic books. Well, Nick, thanks again, and I hope to have you back soon. Sure, thanks for having me. Let's see if we can get some pug ASMR. Oh, that's a good one. Peaches, did you have something to say? <laughs> Are you, you should leave that in. I should. <laughs>